It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com, a proud affiliate of the Hockey News. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and the Pittsburgh Penguins don't look now, but they're tied for the last playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about them getting back into that spot, what it's taken through this past couple of, uh, honestly, past month to get them to that point, and then we're also going to talk a little bit about maybe one of their top stars having an idea about what he should be asking for for his next contract. Jake Gensel's been in the news a lot this past week, and somebody comparable to him just signed a major deal north of the border. We'll talk about that in the second segment, and then the third segment, a little bit of housekeeping. Riley Smith demoted, Drew O'Connor promoted, and you know we're going to talk a little bit about noted Pittsburgh Penguins fan Cutter Gauthier being traded away from the Philadelphia Flyers. But Hora, before we get to that, I know you missed the game last night. How was the concert that you went to, and who was it again? Because I don't remember. Oh, that's okay. I'm sure no one's going to understand the band names of uh, Story <laughs> of the Year and We the Kings. For, the, for those that know We the Kings, they're the Check Yes Juliet band. Um, other than that, it was a good show. Thank you for covering for me last night. I bought these tickets uh, well before the schedule was announced, so, you know. Thankfully, it was an away game, and I didn't have to sell anything. I was able to have someone cover uh, I had a good time, good show. My voice sounds like this because I'm getting over a slight cold, I think. So that's not because I was yelling and screaming last night, I promise. Mm, that's debatable. I don't know if I believe you on that one, but we'll take your word for it. I think most of us know if you go to that show, you're probably screaming a little bit. Like, if you didn't scream at all, then you're just the guy that stood there with his hands in his pockets, and that's even weirder. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you probably scream more than you're giving yourself credit for. I'm I'm growing old at concerts. I'm like I'm the quiet one now these days. I just kind of sit there, like bobbing my head. I enjoy myself. Have a couple of drinks. Uh, I'm going the opposite way. I am definitely a drunk white when I go. Out. <laughs> it is it is it is not a pretty scene. But you know, regardless, everybody uh, kicks back and hangs loose and has a good time. It also depends way. on the show. If it, like if well, whenever Green Day comes around this summer, it'll be a little bit different. <laughs> Following up that uh, our podcast after that show after that show might be a little different, but. Yeah, at that point, you'll be sounding like you had six packs a day. Yeah, you know what? The Penguins, I thought they were pretty good. Either that or Doc Rivers, whatever uh, closer well, in your eyes. But, <laughs> you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, let's get back on topic here because people are probably like, I don't care. The Penguins are in the playoff spot. Let's talk about that instead. You know what? Fine. I agree with you. Let's talk about that. Penguins defeat the Philadelphia Flyers 4-1 to at Wells Fargo Center last night. Goals coming from Ricard Raquel on the power play. Fourth straight game with a power play goal for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Eric Carlson puts the puck in the back of the net for the first time in 18 games. Chad Ruedel puts the puck in the back of the net since he had hair, I guess. Uh, and Evgeny Malkin finishes off the scoring in the third period with a beautiful assist coming from Drew O'Connor. With that victory, the Pittsburgh Penguins are now in a four-way tie for the second wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference with 44 points in the standings. And they are two points behind both the Flyers and the New York Islanders for wildcard one. And Metropolitan 
three. So mm-hmm. a good spot in the standings right now for the Pittsburgh Penguins, certainly better than what they looked like a month ago to this day. Oh, much better. Far improved. I think I don't, we don't want to say that the Kyle Dubes press conference is what kicked the team into gear, but that's going to be one of those, you know, if things turn out correctly, one of those turning point moments of the season. I think we discussed a couple of those last year, uh, the turning points of the good and the bad and the ugly. Um, this time around, that Kyle Dubas press conference looks like the turning point for the very good. The Penguins needed, you know, to be on a certain pace. I believe the pace was uh, 33, 18, and 5 from that point uh, to reach just the bare minimum, or not the bare minimum, but just to reach the average uh, amount of points it takes to make the playoffs. Um, and since then, you know, they're 9, 3, and 1. They're, they've been rocking and rolling since that press conference again. Who knows exactly. What may have been said behind the scenes that may have kickstarted something new for this, but um, in the grand scheme of things, we're going to look at that Kyle Dubas press conference where he discussed the struggling power play, the um, you know, the position that they are in, and he did compare, or not compare, but did bring up the other teams in the division that are also were in similar situations. They seem to still be there because the Penguins are right there with them. Mm-hmm. Um and he also discussed Jesse Poyer because, you know, that's the question I had for him. <laughs> Which, again, he's making progress. He's playing in the AHL now. So, since that point, the Penguins have really found a good rhythm. I will say, though, it feels like every loss is the end of the world. <laughs> it does feel like every all three of those losses come at just the worst times. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, I mean, every loss right now is going to be elevated because one loss could drop you be- below three or four teams just because of how close everybody is in the standings. But at the end of the day, you look at what the Pittsburgh Penguins have done. 9-3-1 and one since December 11th. That's a, a phenomenal record. And they've beaten some pretty good teams as well. And teams that have given them fits in, in, in history as well over the past couple of seasons. They've beaten the, the Hurricanes in that stretch. They've beaten the Islanders twice in that stretch. They beat the Flyers last night handily. Uh, if you go back to uh, moneypuck.com, which, you know, it's an imperfect thing, the deserve to win a meter, but 95% to 5% is ridiculous. Like, seeing that this morning, because I knew, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins dominated last night. You you didn't have to look at a deserve to win a meter to, to know that the Pittsburgh Penguins were the far superior team last night, but 95 to 5 is uh, something out of this world. And I think part of that was kind of askewed because the Flyers just continued to take some pretty late hits or, or take some liberties on some of the Penguins star players. And it turned into just a, a brawl and a UFC fight at points. But, uh, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, when it came to the actual sport of hockey playing, you know, trying to score goals and, and, and that the Pittsburgh Penguins did far better than the, the Philadelphia Flyers. And I think part of that also was Alex Nedeljkovic doing a great job at swallowing pucks. He gave up four rebound shots last night. That was it. Wow. Four of their 37. So uh, a great job from Alex Nadelkovic, a good bounce back. But you mentioned the Kyle Dubas thing. I do want to touch on it really quickly. You look at where they were at on the 11th. Yeah, it might have been the Kyle Dubas thing, but you know what else happened leading up to that turnaround? Two losses back-to-back to the Philadelphia Flyers in overtime. A loss in Florida to the Tampa Bay Lightning, which they looked horrible in it should have been way worse than three to one and a loss to the Florida Panthers which they did look fairly decent in but nothing was clicking so a four game losing streak going into the 11th and at that point they were I believe in second to last place in the Metropolitan Division that also keyed the turnaround I mean I'm sure this is a proud team you go over and three on a road trip against Philadelphia Tampa Bay and Florida that's gonna eat at some people especially the back-to-back losses in a home-and-home to the Philadelphia Flyers so 
you know, turning that around, I, I think there was a lot that went into it. Kyle Dubas's presser is one thing, but I think if you look at the losing streak leading up to that turnaround, that tells you that it probably has something to do with the leadership as well. And Sidney Crosby of Getty Malkin, Mike Sullivan even, saying, all right, enough is enough here. Like, we need to go now because we've put ourselves in a corner. And to this point, they're still not out of the corner completely, but they're certainly in a much better position, as we mentioned. Yeah, and it wasn't even just the fact that you know, they were um, in, what is it? You said for second to last in the Metropolitan Division. They were like third to last in the Eastern Conference. Like, they were yeah. closer to the basement of the Eastern Conference than they were uh, a playoff spot. That's how much they were struggling. I mean... At one point, thankfully, you bring you mentioned Money Puck, and I immediately pull up there. They have a tracking of where each team is ranked through the course of the season. It was early on, but there was at one point they were last in the Metro, behind even uh, a struggling Columbus Blue Jackets team. You know, if you look at the way they've played through the division, they're starting to really find their way up, find their groove, especially amongst the Eastern Conference teams. But um, Kicking kicking that four game losing streak out and bringing this new you know, this new turning point there, I mean the Metro is so tight still that mm. they're still not in phenomenal standing, but it's far better than what it was and you know, they're riding a good rhythm right now. There's still very little room for error. I think that's at the end of the day that's where you have to look at this team. Yeah, they've done a great job to put themselves in a better position. But there's not a lot of room for them to, to fall back and have a struggling week or two because at the end of the day, right now, the Pittsburgh Penguins, they just need to keep stacking. That's what they've been doing over the past month. They get a victory, they stack the victories. If they lose, they come back and they get back on the winning track very, very soon after. That's what they need to continue to do. It's not, you know, it'd be nice if they won eight, nine, ten games in a row. That certainly would help, but it's if you lose that game, like you mentioned, sometimes it feels like the end of the world. It felt like the end of the world whenever they lost that game to the Washington Capitals. But again, you look at that game, it was seven minutes, seven minutes where this team looked like the worst team in hockey, and then they dominated the rest of the night. I came away from that night, and I said it on the recap that night, I came away from that game thinking the Washington Capitals are not that good. They are not that much better than the Pittsburgh. They're not better than the Pittsburgh Penguins. When it comes to actual on-ice performance, they're not. If the Pittsburgh Penguins are playing their game, that is the biggest issue with this team is from time to time, they just come out and, and lay an egg. Mm -hmm. And is that on coaching? Is that on the players? I think Kyle Dubas mentioned on, on the GM show, I think it was last week, that he, he more so puts that on the players. Um, he trusts that Mike Sullivan has these guys ready and it's on the players to want to go out there and perform. So, you know, if they can eliminate that or at least limit it, that's going to go a long way in continuing their ascension up the Eastern Conference standings. Yeah, and you mentioned the the Washington loss. You're right. They did come out of that game, you know, with some positive energy. I would say the Buffalo loss kind of hurt. I mean, but again, they were playing it was decently enough. Game. But it was a weird game where they were just getting goalied because it always happens against Buffalo. They didn't even get goalied. Three posts, two disallowed goals. I mean, they just weren't finishing opportunities. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Uka Pekka He had a great game, but there was four or five goals in that game for the Penguins that were, you know, an inch away from being actual goals. And in, in two instances, they were actual goals. They beat them, but they just made a mistake here or there. And the Gensel one, you can say what you want about, you know, the referees and the call for the goaltender interference. I mean, again, you're an inch away. If he's an inch Await from the crease, it's probably not called. Yeah. Because the reaction from UPL is probably smaller. But yeah. you know, at the end of the day, 
nine three and one in their last what is that then thirteen games? That's a yeah. pretty good record. That's a pretty damn good record. You don't get much better than that. So with that, I do have a question here as I sit here with you, Horwat, on January 9th of 2024. My question is this. Forget the playoffs for right now because it's hard to predict playoffs in January because a lot of that depends on who's hot in March. In January right now, what is the Penguins ceiling in the regular season? Uh, it's, It's pretty high at this point, I'd say. This is a team that can go places. Um... It's hard to say where the ceiling is without mentioning the playoffs, at least, because yeah. it's going to be a, po- a point of uh, point of interest considering they just missed last year. Going into this season, that was at least the bare minimum. Make the playoffs again and then go for the run after. I would say, you know, if you're given a ceiling, genuinely they can make it in the top three di- of the Metropolitan Division. I don't mm-hmm. know about first. I, I know uh, the Rangers have slipped a little, but they s- might just be a little too far gone in a way to catch but 10 points is a lot of points in the standings but the pittsburgh penguins and rangers haven't faced head-to-head yet thought they did once at least definitely did at least once did they um yeah because jonathan quick goalie oh, that's right one it was the one to nothing game <clears throat> yeah so that, that was a long s- time ago jesus yeah, yeah. that being said sorry though, getting to but, but also carolina is at a catchable distance they're at 49 it's you know it's five points rather than 10 it's catchable for now um, and if things go properly, uh, in just a couple of days, we could be talking about the Penguins sitting third in the Metro, maybe even second in a couple of days after that, especially with Carolina coming up on Saturday. Yeah. There's some real progress that could be made here. So genuinely, I would say the ceiling could be second in the Metro. Yeah. I agree with you that, uh, a Metropolitan division title might be a little out of reach. 10 points in the standings, not to mention the New York Rangers are a wagon this year. Yeah. They got absolutely waxed last night by the Vancouver Canucks who are coming to Pittsburgh here in a couple of days. But the the Rangers have been a very, very good hockey team. They're constructed well on paper as they have been for the last two years, but they're starting to put it together on the ice. I, I mean, goaltending, they finally have a backup and Jonathan Quick who can just go out there and, and steal games. Uh, I mean, just as Igor Shesterkin can do as their starter. And they're just a good team on paper. They, they have a lot of, a lot of the boxes checked. So I, I think that might be a little out of reach, but I agree with you in the top three in the Metro is definitely the ceiling. But I also expect there to be a slight, at the very least, slight regression to the mean here. I mean, 9-3-1, is that sustainable for a team right now that is really getting a lot of help from around the lineup right now? I mean, Sidney Crosby is not lighting the world on fire as much as he, he used to. I mean, there's the game in Boston where he scores three points, but he didn't score a single point in Philadelphia yesterday, and the Pittsburgh Sp- Penguins still bodied the Flyers. I, I mean, Malkin's scoring. Ricard Raquel has 10 points in 10 games since he returned. Drew Connor has a new career high. He has 14 points on the season, and I believe he scored five or he scored six points in his last eight games. You know, and the power plays clicking. The goaltending, for the most part, has been good. It's taken a little bit of a step back since the turn of the year, but last night was a great performance from Alex Nedeljkovic. So the Penguins, a lot of things are going well for them right now. Not to m- mention at the least, knock on wood, the health aspect of the game has gone very well for them over the last couple of weeks and the last month, but. I do think that there's going to be a slight regression. Even if just two of those things fall off, you're not going to see a 9-3-1 and one stretch over the next 13. You're going to see maybe it's a 7-5 a and five record, or maybe it's a 7-6 and six record. But what I do think is they've proven this season that they can play with and they can beat anybody. They've had a handful of very impressive victories, Boston being the most recent of them. 
Colorado earlier in the season, shutting them out, going and beating Vegas at home, 3 to nothing, shutting them out. The Carolina victory is a big one for them. The New York Islanders victories were huge ones for huge. them because they dominated the Islanders for the most part in both of those games. And then, lest we forget that big game against the LA Kings, who look like they're world beaters out there in the Western Conference, the Penguins have proven that they can play with anybody in the NHL. It's just a matter of stacking those wins and getting to the point where you can start to climb up those standings, especially like we mentioned, this month being a huge month against a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. They started up pretty well. If they if they just would have been able to be a little bit better in the opening minutes against the Capitals, right now they'd be tied for third in the Metro instead of tied for the second wild card spot. Yeah, it's also you have to consider just how <clears throat> heading into the season. I was talking with one of the uh, media interns about this after well, I forget which game now. If you look at the at the Eastern Conference this year. It still is jump ball for just about anyone. Consider how many teams were taking steps towards the playoffs and could have snuck into the postseason, as opposed to how many uh, genuinely had no shot. And the only teams that genuinely had no shot may have been the Blue Jackets and the Canadians. Everyone else, that you know, that includes the Red Wings who were supposed to take steps forward. That included, for at the time, the Senators who were supposed to take steps forward, and just that's not happening. Yeah. That every other team, the Flyers are supposed to also suck, but now here they are, right? In a very good standing. Yeah. Uh, but also, same with the Capitals. They were supposed to also suck, but are now, you know, were in the playoffs for a good amount of time. Same with the Islanders for the most part. Still not a ton of offense there, but have been finding ways to win. The Penguins had a lot to fight through, and they still do, obviously, as they are in this four-way tie with 44 points. Mm-hmm. But... You know, certain teams have fallen off. Like I mentioned, the Senators have, have pretty much fallen off from what they were supposed to be. Blue Jackets and Canadians are just about as bad. But there's still a lot of fighting to do. So looking around the East, it's you know, there's some movements that needs to be made. Uh, the Devils have fallen off. That's kind of helpful. Yeah. That's, and some of the yeah. biggest wins for the Penguins so far have been against the teams they couldn't beat last year. Carolina, New York, Islanders. Yeah. Those are huge. Yeah, and then you also look at the Philadelphia Flyers and the trouble that they had with them back in early December. I know we talked about yeah. it earlier in the segment, but man, did they go out there and they just absolutely dominated the Flyers. They made the Flyers look like what everybody expected the Flyers to look like this season, which has not happened very often. So, you know, kudos to the Pittsburgh Penguins, a solid victory last night, solid standing right now. We'll see if they're able to continue to build on that. They have the Vancouver Canucks and the Carolina Hurricanes coming up. Those are two, uh, two very tough tasks. We'll see if the Penguins are up for it. And we'll see who's in net because uh, Alex Nedeljkovic starting seven of the last ten games. Very interesting little sub-note there to monitor as time goes on. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, did Alex, or not Alex Nylander, Alex Nylander hasn't done anything for, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Did William Nylander provide a roadmap for a Pittsburgh Penguins star winger? We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm Berlansky, that's Horwat. William Nylander signed a monster deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs yesterday. So 
we're not just going to talk about it because it's a monster deal. It was the biggest headline in hockey yesterday, or by the end of the day, it might have been the second biggest headline, or at least the second most dramatic headline, as we'll talk about in a little bit here. But the Leafs signed William Nylander to an eight-year extension, $92 million. He gets a full no-move clause from the beginning, meaning from now. He had a modified no-trade clause this season, but since he signed that, a little note in that contract is that no-move clause kicks in now. I don't think it's registered on cap-friendly, but I thought I saw that somewhere from, I believe it was either Elliot Friedman or Jeff Merrick, but uh, I saw that somewhere, and I think that's an interesting little tidbit. Not that the Leafs were going to trade a guy they just paid $92 million to in the next half season, but regardless, uh, $11.5 million cap hit up from $6.9 million the question became, and we talked about this at length in our text chain yesterday, did that provide the roadmap for Jake Gensel? It's, I don't want to say it provided the quote-unquote roadmap, but agents are nothing if not happy to look around at what other players are making. Mm-hmm. And it may not seem like it, but William Nylander and Jake Gensel are far more comparable than you may think. Um, I kind of ran this down in a story yesterday. Uh, I blind-tested... Uh, my girlfriend Megan with the stats and just said, here are two stats. Here are two <laughs> two stat lines. Which one is better? And she said player number one, which happened to be Jake Gensel. So it just by, you know, blindly looking at a couple of numbers, it was just the sort of goals, points, assists. It was nothing too detailed or too in-depth. Um, it was just the basic counting numbers. And Jake Gensel's and while he hasn't played as much and is two years older, that is a big factor that we'll discuss, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Gensel's numbers are improved. They're they he have he has a slight edge. He's got more points per game. He has more goals. Period. Um, and he's just got a bit of a different <clears throat> outlook in terms of those counting numbers. That if Ben Hankinson wanted to, he could say, "Hey, eleven five might be a bit much." Toronto's spending a lot of money on someone who might not deserve 11-5. Well, that, that's a discussion for the future. But that's a lot of money. I've been saying this since the offseason, that if uh, if Jake Gensel wanted to come in and start with $10 million, he could absolutely ask for that. Oh, yeah. So I would say when it comes to the Jake Gensel contract discussion, it's going to get interesting, and William Nylander's contract may have uh, played in Gensel's favor. Yeah, and the Gensel contract has been relatively quiet throughout the season. It got a little noisy towards the end of last week when David Pagnota of the fourth period said that Gensel seems happy waiting until after the season. He wants to know the direction of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and and I said on Iceberg to go that I completely get it. I understand it. One, you want to get your money. Two, that's eight years, six, seven, eight years is what Pagnota said is potentially what he might be looking for. But like six, seven, eight years, eight years is a long time yeah. for a 30-year-old, which is how old Jake Gensel is going to be when that contract starts next fall because he turns 30 on October 6th of next season. 38-year-old Jake Gensel, I'm not sure how that would look. Now, I know a lot of people in the comments said you could also probably just trade him towards the tail end of that once Crosby, Malkin, and Latang have departed for greener pastures and, and golf courses all around the world. But at the same time, I don't know what the, the, the trade clause is going to look like in that because Jake Gensel, as with every star player now, wants that assurance that they're not going to get traded unless they say they want to be traded. You saw on William Nylander's contract, he gets a full no-move clause. Are the Pittsburgh Penguins going to give that to Jake Gensel? I mean, they gave it in part 
to Brian Rust. Yep, that's they gave a say. modified no trade clause to Ricard Raquel. What are you going to give the guy that scored 40 goals twice for you? Could score 40 goals again this season and is on pace for a career year. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He's a proven playoff scorer. He's somebody that plays alongside Sidney Crosby. But also, I would say this, and some people are still of the mind that I'm ridiculous for saying it. He helps Crosby too. Like Crosby helps Gensel. Yes, don't get me wrong. That happens. Nylander gets help from Tavares in, in Toronto. But as with both, they also aid and improve their center. And that's Tavares and that's Crosby. So, you know, I would think that he's probably going to get a similar, if not at least a modified with a large list of a no-trade clause. And mm -hmm. I think that is a huge thing considering William Nylander just got a full no-move clause for eight years when he is, as you mentioned yesterday, the third or fourth best player on that team. I, best is a <clears throat> best is an interesting word. Both of these players, here's another, another little comparison between the two. Gensel and Nylander are both at best the fourth, you know, third or fourth biggest name on their team. And for Gensel, he might be fifth considering Eric Carlson is here now. Yeah. Right? So there's that little aspect there. When it comes to, like, you know, skill, I would say Nylander's better than John Tavares, without doubt. It's just mm -hmm. the fact that John Tavares is the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That kind of gives him a huge boost in terms yeah. of notoriety and popularity. Also, he's also making $11 million. So John Tavares, you know, jumps Nylander because of those two things in terms of notoriety on that roster. And then obviously there's Marner and Matthews. The the two one punch, because I put them in that order. Uh the one two punch of Matthews and Marner, Nylander and Tavares can flip flop. And then in Pittsburgh it's Crosby, Malk, and Latang. Boom, boom, boom. Those are the top three. Just why all the why Mike Sullivan says all the time that Jake Gensel is one of the most underappreciated elite players in the league. You give Gensel this is the conversation that people have been having about Malkin his entire career. You throw Malkin on his own team. Forget it. he's an elite player. He's probably in the top 100 spot. He's probably this, that, the other. Mm -hmm. He's probably looked at more of one of the all-time greats than he is. He's just always going to be overshadowed. Gensel's getting that same sort of treatment. You know, he's not as good as Malkin, or at least as good as Malkin was at his prime, but mm -hmm. he um, is playing in the shadow of these three behemoths in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. And maybe a fourth of Eric Carlson can wake up. <laughs> Yeah. So he's got, so like he's definitely played through a lot, but is, you know, proving to be still an absolutely elite, uh, needed player for this team. That trade clause will be weird. I mean, yeah. no matter how it, it, I think Ron Hextall works some magic to get Brian Russ to put the back half of his contract with nothing. I think that's, I mean, to be fair, should Brian Rust have ever gotten a full no move clause at all? Probably not. The guy hasn't touched 30 goals. You're right, but, yeah. But to get him to come back and probably get him to come back on a discount, you gave him the full no-move clause for the first three. Why? Because Brian Russ just had kids. Let his kids at least get to the age where they're, you know, coherent enough to be like, all right, you go do that. Dad has to pack. Like, give him that. Give him the early years yeah. of his kids. Like, th that plays a factor. That's yeah. the human factor that a lot of people are like, why do you get it for the first three years and not the last three years when he's going to be worse? Because he has kids now. Like, he wants his kids to grow up a little bit in the same area and have a control and a handle on that. So, you know, the, the no-move clause is always something that's huge that people forget. But let, let's bounce back really quickly to the cap hit. The salary cap is supposed to go up. I don't know if I trust Gary. I don't trust Gary Bettman. I don't. What, what am I saying? I don't know. I don't trust Gary Bettman. He mm -hmm. said four to five million dollars potentially 
going up in the next summer, I think it's probably going to end up being closer to two or three, just simply because that's what usually happens when Bettman speaks, is he over uh, he, uh, he overestimates by like 50%. It's lawyer talk. It, it's yes. ridiculous. Um, so they're not going to get that much relief next year, but is $11.5 million, you said $10 million is probably the starting point. Yes. Is is ten million still too much though for eight years? If it ends up being eight year contract, would you? Would clauses be be damned? Trading potential be damned? If he is thirty eight years old on a ten million dollar contract, is that not a horrible look? No matter who signs the deal, that is yes. I, I don't like the idea of eight years. I will say that. I and you like can't restructure. This is in the NFL. Yeah, it's, I don't like the idea of eight years. I'll I'll say that. I think, um. I didn't realize if, that that's, you know, what he might be looking for. Um, but... And again, Pagnota just said, you know, if he's going for six, seven, eight years, that wasn't a hard lined. He wants I, eight years. But... I think I might take six. It's a tough one. Because you also have to figure, I mean, it's how long does Crosby want to play for? He's going to sign a contract July 1st. Let's start there. <laughs> how long does he want to play for? to end his career it's mm-hmm. this is where things are going to get weird signing Gensel to six I think makes sense especially if you're able if it's if it seems like a movable deal toward the end or anything of that nature um could be interesting I just the the years I don't feel like you're going to play too much of a factor because Gensel is two years older than William Nylander already it is going to be that that price tag is going to be that annual at average annual value that we look at mm-hmm. on cap friendly every day that's going to be the big swinging stick here is which what does that number look like is it you know five to six years i think is a little more respectable definitely don't want to give him eight though because again he is 30 ending him no no matter what the deal or the clauses and everything looks like 38 is too hot too high yeah um it'll be a tough one to figure out i would just say five to six i'll take and if it's and like i said he could start at 10 if he really wanted to Here's a deal that I want to see signed, and this is just me personally. Nick Berlansky saying that I would like to see this signed. If this happens, I'll be I'll be happy about it. Six year deal, similar to Brian Russ in that the first three years are a no move clause, which means he does not get moved until the end of Crosby's career, likely. At least. Likely. Last three years, modified no trade. Give him, give him sixteen team. Let him say half the league. Yeah. I don't want to go to that half the league. Six years, fifty nine million dollars because. Hockey players love that. That's nine point eight million dollar average annual value. That's a six po- or a three point eight million dollar raise, and I think that's fair. And that's and because you want to know where that money comes from from Jeff Carter coming off the books. Yep. Don't that's have to it. worry about the. You don't have to worry <laughs> about the exactly cap. Exactly what going I was up. thinking. Yeah. You don't have to worry about the cap going up or not going up. If it goes up and you have Jake Gensel locked up to nine something, boom, you've already made great progress because. That you just transfer that money from one player to another, and then that free, that's free cap space. Yeah. Uh, eventually, soon enough, the uh, Jeff Petrie contract will leave us, and eventually the Jack Johnson contract will leave us. Those t- that's a couple extra million dollars right there. Again, that's a few years down the line, but it is more positives to. I mean, the rebuild's coming, but suddenly we're gonna yeah. But suddenly the Penguins are gonna have a little bit more money to work with, a little more space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tacking those two off of the dead cap also helps. Yeah, the rebuild is coming at some point. I would imagine it's not this year. It's not. It's no. not going to be next year. It's not. And it might not be the year after that. 
That's two of the three years that you have the no-move contract for Jake Gensel. Then you have one year to deal with it, and then all of a sudden it opens up and you can say, all right, Gens, where do you want to go? Because this is going to be a rebuild. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's... Those are conversations you're going to have to have with him, because especially considering if he's... If part of the reason why he's willing to wait is to know what the future looks like, it's... Kyle Dubas might just have to be blunt. Hey, listen, we're going to be in a rebuild soon. He, But Kyle Dubas is the kind of competitor, and also it's his job to have a team that wins now and in the future. You could probably come to Gensel and say, hey, we're trying to also win in the future. You will be a part of it. Yeah, it, he would, ha- he would have to be the front weird. end. We can't yeah. But it's... Yeah. Yeah, that's why we're not lawyers, because if we were lawyers, we I wouldn't be wearing just a, a T-shirt and a hat. I'd be... Wearing a suit, like my favorite show. But no, with with Jake Gensel, at the end of the day, you look at the comparables between him and Nylander, they're close. They are. I mean, Gensel has 458 points in his career. Nylander has 484, but Nylander also started in 2015-16, whereas Gensel came in the year following. But Gensel has 215 goals. Nylander's 198. Gensel has more points in the playoffs, not to mention a Stanley Cup ring, which... You know, it's a team accomplishment, but it's certainly a team accomplishment that Ben Hankinson's going to be like, hey, Jake, can we show me your your right hand right now? Yeah, that's a Stanley Cup ring, Kyle. I know you don't know what that looks like yet, but that's a Stanley <laughs> Cup ring. And that's that's what you want to get. So, I mean... It, he it, led that postseason in goals, too, did he not? As a rookie, yeah. So... As yeah. a rookie. He almost set the record. I think yeah. he, what, was just shy of Dino Cicerelli or somebody like that? So. Oh, I've ridiculous that was a long that was seven years ago that's a long time but um at the end of the day man it's a it's gonna be an interesting conversation whenever we start to see what the the contract negotiations look like whenever those details start coming out but the roadmap might kind of be there from willie nylander but again two years separated and i think that's also the fact that the toronto maple leafs are in a much different position when it comes to their contention window than the pittsburgh penguins are for sure for sure. They're able to pay their young guys that kind of money. Um, well, for what it's worth, John Tavares will probably take a big old pay cut in a couple seasons to help adjust for inflation over there. Um, it's uh, Toronto's also just in a different just in a different stratosphere when it comes to being able to spend that money. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do that. Their lineup next year is going to look damn weird. Here are five $11 million players and a bunch of <laughs> league men guys. We'll yeah. see how that goes for them. But at the same time, I mean, this is going to be a fun story to follow along with all season. The, if Ben Hankinson continues to go on, you know, radio shows saying things could get ugly. If, you know, if anyone keeps asking Jake Gensel what his thoughts are and everything, this is going to be a fun story to follow along with all season. And, you know, we're discussing the Penguins, you know, in the midst of a 9-3-1 and run. If the wheels fall off, that trade deadline is going to get interesting here. Yeah. The Penguins are already going to be one of the most interesting teams to follow nearing the deadline and into the offseason. If, if things do fall off, you know, you said that the rebuild isn't coming for another two to three years. Potentially, These wheels Potentially. fall off. It's happening this summer. Once the snow melts, things are hitting the road. Yeah, when you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, man, uh, it's a very, very... I mean, there's a reason that Gensel's waiting. It's a very precarious position when it comes to we're going to go for it versus we're going to try to rebuild. I mean, mean, hey, you trade Jake Gensel. When's the last time the Penguins had two first-round picks? It's been a long time. The most seasons, they don't have a first-round pick. They uh, they wouldn't have a first-round pick this year anyway. They traded it away for Eric Carlson. You can get it back, though. You might be able to get two. uh, Not in the same draft, but, you know... 
at the end of the day. Uh, they'd have two probably next season. But Jake Gensel uh, certainly going to be something to monitor as he continues a career season as of right now. 44 points in 38 games, 18 goals, 26 assists. So could potentially, if he picks up the pace in the second half of the season, could potentially be his third 40-goal season of his career at 29 years of age. Kid's a stud. Kid's a stud. He doesn't get the credit he deserves, and we'll see uh, just how much credit the Penguins want to give him when his contract negotiations come back around. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Riley Smith was demoted in the Penguins lineup. We'll discuss that. And Cutter Gauthier said, nah, I don't want to play for the Philadelphia Flyers. He was traded last night mid-game against his childhood favorite team, the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll discuss that as well to close out this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. A couple of lineup changes take place yesterday before the Pittsburgh Penguins shellack the Philadelphia Flyers by a final score of 4-1 to one at Wells Fargo Center, sending those Philadelphians home very displeased. The last two players to walk into Philadelphia sports complexes with a Sidney Crosby jersey have had some pretty good success. Shout out to Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals on that one, but uh, Riley Smith went into Philadelphia with a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth simply because he was demoted to the third line. I mean, it's rightfully so, considering he had scored two goals in his previous 28 games dating back to the San Jose Sharks game where he scored four points. So since then, he just has not performed well. Nine points in that time span as well. He moves down to the third line with Lars Eller and Valtteri Pustin. And Drew O'Connor bumps up in the lineup to play with Evgeny Malkin and Brian Russ. What did you think of the move before we get into what we saw last night? It's a move that made sense. It's it, We're seeing Riley Smith in this complete rut that um, we don't really know how he's going to be able to get out of it. We don't know what kind of changes need to be made in his game, what needs to happen for him to kind of find some rhythm. Two goals in 28 games is horrid especially whenever you're playing primarily on the second line with Evgeny Malkin that's the key of why I think this demotion was necessary because he's been playing all this time with Evgeny Malkin who has also been you know flimsy he's been up and down in terms of uh, production just not gonna work it seems so they it just makes sense to move Riley Smith off of that line give Malkin a guy like Drew O'Connor, who's just been a lightning bolt for Malkin, mm-hmm. um, and see if, or, or if Lars Eller, if, if Lars Eller can help wake up Riley Smith in a way. Um, it's it's the same way we looked at Ricard Raquel at the beginning of the season. Does putting him on the first line help things, or is that just going to break up the chemistry that you know Rust, Crosby, and Gensel had, or does moving Raquel to the third line spur something? Turns out an injury spurred it. But still, uh, we got Raquel back. He's on the first line. He's cooking. Maybe this is the kind of thing that we're just seeing it in practice now. We're seeing Riley Smith move to the third line. Maybe something picks up. Uh, I guess not phenomenal results in the first game, considering no one on that line scored. Really did anything much of note. I mean, they looked pretty good. Looked I, I thought they looked decent in that game, but also the the Pittsburgh Penguins just looked good last night in general. I, I mean, the the Eller, Pustinen, Riley Smith line when it comes to underlying numbers were the second best line on the Pittsburgh Penguins right. last night. 68% of the shot attempts, 
or sorry, 68% of the expected goals, 47% of the shot attempts. And they, they really didn't have too much ice time. They had more than a lot of other lines on the team because there was a lot of penalties taken last night, but five on five ice time, not a lot of opportunities for, for Pustin and Eller and also Riley Smith. But, you know, I thought they performed well, and Mike Sullivan echoed that sentiment last night. He said he thought they looked good. It was a good first showing for that line, and obviously you're going to have to see them build off of it. We talked about the two big games coming up over the weekend, but you look at what he was able to do last night, and you just kind of take and say, okay, it looked better, but you still need more. Valtteri Pustinen is starting to kind of take a step back a little bit. His opportunities are getting lesser and lesser. He's having to do something in that role as well, which is make something out of less. And if you can do that, that's how you stay at the NHL level. He has to do that now with Riley Smith, who's coming down and looking to find his game as well. So Lars Eller has just been the punching bag this season. He's been given a lot of assignments with with line mates that are, hey, you guys are, are trying to figure it out. Lars, help him. Like... That's the veteran move. That's the veteran role, and that's what Lars Eller has done this year. So it'll be uh, something to monitor whether or not Riley Smith can get back to his game. I would assume at some point he does. He's just historically been a much better player. You wouldn't think that that would continue for an entire season, but, I mean, I said it last night. It's kind of like a Jason Zucker thing, inconsistencies. Like, you expect it to get better, but it's inconsistent. And what was what was our big uh, point of note when we acquired uh, Riley He's, Smith? He's... <sighs> Jason Zucker, but more consistent. Yeah. He's well, just Jason Zucker now, without now the physicality. Just, yeah. At least he's healthy. <laughs> yes, he's healthy. Got that going for him. <laughs> he, he is healthy right he now. He's healthy and good. killing penalties. Oh, you got a couple of bonuses there, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, still, it's going to be an interesting... It's going to be interesting to see how he grows on that third line, see if he's able to refine that game. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is if plopping Riley Smith on this third line, it seems to have already done that, gives Valtteri Pustin in another... You know, another boost back into the back in onto the ice at a little bit more of a regular basis. I mean, up until last night, it seemed every game was a just a decline in ice time, a decline in ice time, a decline. Five minutes against the yeah uh, Buffalo Sabers, uh, back up to ten. So maybe that maybe that gets him on the ice a little more. He's got to you know, bring his confidence back and become a legitimate NHL regular. Uh, what Mike Sullivan said on. You know, the young guys playing in the NHL seemed to... It was a really good quote there. I forget what exactly it was, but it was essentially when they break in, you know, there's a lot of energy. They're kind of, you know, up on adrenaline. Uh, and then after a couple of games, it's they start to feel the motions. They start to go through, you know, the motions of the NHL, this, that, the other. And it kind of fades. For Valtteri Pustin, it's about breaking through that fade now. Mm-hmm. It's about that breaking through all that. For Riley Smith, it's about breaking through and just finding some regularity here. Getting yeah. some progress made in the right direction uh everyone knows he can do it everyone knows he can do it he's a good player it's just it's like ricardo cal need to find something to mm-hmm. make things start anew yeah yeah and in his place was drew o'connor who has found anew this season and looked very very good doing so uh, he moves up in his place he has six points in his last eight games three goals three assists and last night he had that sweet assist to Evgeny Malkin that ended up being the dagger for the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Philadelphia Flyers nice to see him really prove me wrong because you know I was pretty harsh on him Christmas week and then the festivist game he looked really good against Ottawa and he hasn't looked back since he's had a bundle of energy every single game he has made a difference in two games where it was him that made the difference for the Penguins I'm talking about the first period against Boston where he was 
absolutely phenomenal. And the third period last night was that as well. He he gets one assist, but you look at what he was able to do and setting the tone early in that third period. Penguins are up 3-1. to one. Philly's going to have a push. It's a Tortorella team. They're going to have a push early in that third period. But instead, Drew O'Connor picks the pocket of a Flyers defenseman, goes in on a partial breakaway. He does get stoned by Carter Hart, but he starts to put the, the, the thought in the mind of the Flyers that, man, we're not coming back in this game because... This guy is up two goals, and he's still a dog on a bone. He was able to do that, and then shortly after that, draws people to him because of the danger that he presented a couple minutes prior in the third period, draws people to him, and just lays it off to Evgeny Malkin, who who takes care of the rest. A stellar performance from him in the third period last night, and really a stellar performance from him since December 23rd. Uh, Drew O'Connor has been a big reason as to why the Pittsburgh Penguins have been as successful as they have been over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, he's been awesome. He, he's been totally awesome. I know we didn't expect him to be a, <clears throat> I don't want to say useful, but to be a regular face in the top six. Yeah. He seems to be earning his way there, and regressions from certain players is also helping that along. They've, Riley Smith has regressed, but there's just been, there have been a couple of key regressions across this lineup that's not ideal. Yeah. Um, But for Drew O'Connor, this is a good little boost that no one expected, but it's, you know, really something to see, and it's really worth it. He's playing with that confidence. He's playing with so much speed and um, using his size and his stature to really make a difference for himself on the ice and in the lineup. This um, this is the kind of thing we expected to see out of you know Sam Poulin for a bit last year when he came up. Just Valtteri Poussin and now has been taking advantage in his own way. This is the sort of, once you're up here, you got to find ways to make your game noticeable, and Drew O'Connor's mm-hmm. doing just that. Yeah, there's a difference between speed and fluidity. Speed, mm-hmm. Jansen Harkins has speed. Fluidity, Drew O'Connor's playing with fluidity right now, and that makes your game faster. It's not all about foot speed at that point. It's about how your game is pro- progressing, and right now, Drew O'Connor's game is progressing really well, and we talked about it at the beginning of the season. We said, all right, the Penguins have a great top six. They have an improved bottom six, or at least expected to have an improved bottom six, but we said there was a gap there. If somebody goes down, it's going to be hard for somebody to be that swing winger. Drew O'Connor has kind of bridged that gap. He is the swing winger for the Pittsburgh Penguins, that middle six that can play on the second line or play on the third line, or even for a time being, he can play on the first line if you need him to. He's certainly been much better this season, and I'm intrigued to see if he can continue to keep that up. Let's talk to end this show a little bit about the Team East because it's involving their top prospect who just happened to grow up a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, a big fan of Sidney Crosby. He said at the NHL draft that he shot pucks into the dryer as well. That was based on Sidney Crosby doing it. He said, that's how I'm going to become an NHLer. He's certainly done a good job to this point. Cutter Gauthier was the fifth overall pick in the 2022 draft from the Philadelphia Flyers last night, mid-game, mid-first period, I should say. He is traded to the Anaheim Ducks for a second-round pick and defenseman Jamie Drysdale. When I saw this go across, and the Ducks were the ones to announce it, which tells you how quiet they kept it because it wasn't Elliot Friedman. It wasn't Chris Johnston. It wasn't Bob McKenzie, who's not breaking trades anymore, but, you know, World Juniors, he was over there. Might have talked to Cutter Gauthier. Instead, Cutter Gauthier trade gets announced by the Anaheim Ducks, and everybody just went, Wait, what? Like, is this real? Because not only is Cutter Gauthier a very high-end prospect, he was the top prospect for the Philadelphia Flyers. Like I said, fifth overall pick, led the World Juniors in scoring last week, and he was named the best forward in the tournament. 
He gets traded for a second round pick and Jamie Drysdale, who, if he can stay healthy, is a very good defenseman. So it could be a good trade for the Philadelphia Flyers, but certainly not a good look whenever the fifth overall pick from two seasons ago simply says, I don't want to be a Philadelphia Flyer. Yeah, it's it. it I know it was it's kind of working in the opposite direction, but um, and I also don't think it's to the point of there's going to be comparisons to Eric Lindros, but it kind of gives that vibe of well, he doesn't want to play for that team. This one kind of comes a little bit later. The Eric Lindros situation, it was immediate. It was hey, don't draft me. Oh, we're drafting you anyway. But a little different. But it involves the Flyers and a player that didn't want to play on the team they were drafted by. What's really interesting about this is um, all the details that have come out after you know, like the, the insider saying that um, they just couldn't get a hold of him for however many months or yeah. days or whatever it may have been. They just couldn't get a hold of him. He could, he wasn't communicating. Uh, maybe there was no communications with the agent yeah. either. There's a lot going into that. It's not 1776. You're not sending a carrier pigeon. What What's going on that you couldn't get a hold of Cutter Gauthier? Yeah, and not only that, there was the no, I forget which which one had it, but one of them said that this has been a deal that Danny Briere has been working on for months. Yeah, which which makes me also really start to think, oh, so they've been working on this for months. They went into the like we mentioned, like the Flyers went into the season not expecting to be that great. They were maybe they tried to send them off before then. They went and with the Ducks being the other end of this, maybe Danny Briere had was a little spiteful and just went, all right, you think we're bad? Have fun in Anaheim. Have fun in Anaheim. You're I'm sure he the, will with Trevor Zegras. You're going to play with young talent, yeah, but you're not going to win. And not only that, now the, what, look what the Flyers are doing. Not only did we don't we also don't know the reason why he didn't want to play there. Yeah, yeah. we don't there know those, the actual reason. Yeah, we don't know the actual reason. There are the he was a Sidney Crosby and Penguins fans growing up. Listen, you get to play in the NHL, you kick those out the door. Yeah, usually. Um, but for whatever reason it may be. If, if there was a little, maybe it was because the team wasn't good and didn't seem to be going in the right direction. And maybe Cutter Gauthier understood that and said he wanted to go somewhere else. Or maybe just, you know, all that. All right, here, have have Anaheim because they're so good. And now we'll look what the Flyers are doing. They're almost playing out of spite for the prospect, it seems. Yeah. There's all kind of things that could go into this. That's just the way my mind worked of, oh, now the Flyers are playing really good in spite of their top prospects saying they're not good. Or alluding to or them whatever. not being good. Yeah. Yeah. So, in, in my eyes, I say good on Philly. That's a good move right there. If if your prospect doesn't want to play for you, and if maybe the reason is because you're not good, send him to a worse team and pop off. That's a win for Philly. Yeah, there, there's two things on this one. One, when Danny Briere spoke yesterday, I think it was in an inter- intermission report, he spoke about this trade. He said, we thought maybe Cutter would come around. And it ended up that he 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 didn't because he did he said he did come around at one point because at the draft he said I'm built to be a Philadelphia Flyer, and then a couple months later he went AWOL. So if before the draft you knew that he had reservations about being a Philadelphia Flyer, why are you using the fifth overall pick to select him? That's my question. Now again, usually prospects don't have that kind of weight in negotiations of I'm just not going to play that's a very non-typical way to handle a situation to getting drafted to a team that you might not think is the best situation for yourself so I understand it at that point but with the fifth overall pick Cutter Gauthier is a tremendous talent would you not want to take more of a sure thing but again 
maybe that's the Flyers. Maybe that's just the Flyers' motto right now: is we take talent, we fix everything else later. They took Matvey Mitchkov in the first round last year. That is a complicated situation in and of itself, but a tremendously talented player. So maybe that's just the way that they roll. But at the end of the day, also, I do give Danny Briere credit because he's the only one in that organization that handled that with class. Um, certainly not their TV. Certainly not their their intermission report. I watched that last night. He said during that interview, we kept it very quiet, and I want to thank the other teams we negotiated with for keeping it quiet because we wanted to protect the player. Mm-hmm. He knows what market he's the general manager for. Yeah, He doesn't want this 19-year-old to become – I mean, he's already going to be now at this point. He's going to be one of the most hated players to Philadelphia Flyers fans. But leading up to this, if he would have changed his mind and people would have known that, he never would have been able to find success with the Philadelphia Flyers. So Danny Briere keeps this quiet to protect the 19-year-old. The second it comes out, the television broadcast roasts him. I think it was Brian Boucher and whoever their play-by-play guy is. Scotty Hartnell goes after him in the intermission report or the post-game report. Some other, I don't know who was with him, my apologies. Some other guy went in on him and said, this is one of the best organizations in the NHL, which is, to me, slightly laughable. Um simply just because of the the, the the winning has not been there for four years. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this is a 19-year-old, and the reason your general manager is saying that he kept it quiet is because of you, because of the players that used to play there that are going out there and they're cutting down a 19-year-old. Yeah, I think Cutter Gauthier could have probably handled it better, could have you know, been a Philadelphia Flyer, gone through it, and, and been an NHLer, and then built up some steam and then requested a trade, or just not sign his contract. Just mm-hmm. not sign the next contract and go somewhere else. Or say, hey, I, I came and played, gave it a shot, but I'm a restricted free agent. I would like to not be qualified. Yeah. Like, about- uh, But at the end of the day, I, I couldn't believe the, the reaction from the television announcers from the Philadelphia Flyers. They went in on a 19-year-old. You got How about more than just the you know the TV analysts and the broadcasters. Do you see what uh, Tortorella said? Yeah, Tortorella didn't care. I mean, that was a Tortorella thing. I mean, of that's course. what he said. He said, I, I, "I don't, I don't know him from Adam, um, but I, I do know Jamie Drysdale. I'll talk about Jamie Drysdale because he's coming to play for us." But yeah, but I mean, you have to figure first of all, Torts. There's no way you didn't know one of your top prospects. Just, well, so yeah. we're just gonna say that. Let's just be honest here. There's no he didn't. I get that he wants to only talk about the new guy and not worry about... That's a Torts what, thing, yeah. But with Torts having that sort of reaction, that really makes you wonder, <clears throat> what, like, how dark and dirty did this situation get? Because yeah. even Tortorella would have to be a little classy with their top with one of their top prospects, right? At least a little, wish things could have worked out better, this, that, the, No, he went straight... And maybe it was also coming off of a loss, but he went straight for the, for the jugular with... Don't know. Don't know who he is. Yeah. That I, seems unlikely. And if you, and honestly, Torts, if you don't know who your top prospect is, what are you doing here? Yeah. I so mean, that's that. But also, that adds more fuel to the, like you mentioned, all these guys tearing down this 19-year-old. I mean, with Torts saying that, all I can think is, let's somehow find a way to get Cutter Gautier to the Penguins and really start <laughs> something here. Let's really get this going. Yeah, Cutter Gauthier leads the uh, the next wave of contention for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Hey, if Jake Gensel hits uh, that trade market, all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't I don't think the Ducks would would send the Penguins Cutter Gauthier. Uh, not to mention, Ducks are not buying at the trade deadline. No, uh, no, not a chance in hell. But you know, interesting situation. Obviously, we wish Cutter Gauthier the the best. Um, we also I wish 
Jamie Drysdale the best. Jamie Drysdale is a very talented defenseman. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do. Uh, I believe it was Tortorella in that same breath said, or, or maybe it was Danny Briere, uh, that he's going to have to come and play a little bit of a different style because Anaheim has a much different style than Philadelphia, which that's the understatement of the century. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see what Jamie Drysdale can do. Pure offensive defenseman, uh, very talented young player for the Anaheim Ducks. But, I mean, they got... Pavel Mitnikov right now so they didn't need him um we'll see how that trade shakes out but uh from a third party perspective I can see why they kept it quiet that's all I'm saying for sure it's it'll be fun to watch how that unfolds through on both sides you know through the Flyers perspective through the Ducks perspective um see how things unfold and I mean where's Cutter Gauthier playing now I know he just came off of World Juniors but what like I think he plays team, for the I think college. he plays for the United States National Development Program, but let me double check. Yeah, because um, if anyone's able to you know get in touch with him and see if he's got any quotes or words to say about the situation, this this is oh, just going to be an interesting little uh, little story to follow along with, just in terms of being a hockey fan. Okay, he's he was with the United States National Development Team a couple of seasons, but right now he plays at Boston College. Okay. <laughs> Boston College newspaper's about to get on that one. What is it, the Eagle? I, I think have no it is. idea. I don't know why I know that, but I think it's called the Eagle. Love it. Um, but regardless, uh, we'll see if Cutter Gauthier speaks, and when he does, I'm sure Philadelphia will be livid. But mm -hmm. that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. A little bit different, talking a little bit more about Toronto, a little bit about Philadelphia, but certainly covered a lot of Penguins uh, Penguins discussions, not problems. Uh, they're 9-3-1 in their last 13 games. Not a lot of problems to be had there. But we will be back on Thursday with a new episode leading up to the game against the Vancouver Canucks. Until then, we'll see you later, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Tip of the Iceberg.